Welcome to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast with Sakar Kali. During this program, you will hear guest experts sharing their experiences, best practices, and market insights. We discuss investing in multifamily apartment complexes and how a busy professional can passively invest hassle-free in various opportunities. Your host, Sakar Kali, owns millions of dollars of assets and has done thousands of value-add projects over 20 years now. So listen in for insights. Here's your host, Sakar Kali. Welcome to another edition of Premium Cashflow Podcast. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having uh, Hans Box. Uh, Hans Box is with Box Wilson Equity. Uh, his firm does a lot of uh, funds that invest in multifamily self storages and some other debt classes uh, uh, around multifamily. Uh, welcome to the show, Hans. Uh, I appreciate you taking time today. Oh, thanks for having me, Scar. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, Hans, uh, typically we get started, uh, you know, asking, uh, "Hey, uh, your background, how you came around into multifamily and syndications and things like that." Uh, please go ahead and tell us some more about you. Sure, sure. So, my background is uh, I'm a CPA by background, practiced with one of the big four firms for for a number of years, and then I started buying rent houses back in 08, 09 period, and that kind of gave me the bug to get into real estate. And sure. and then I big step and quit my job and partner with a guy to get into multifamily. I, mm -hmm. I agreed to fix his accounting if he mentored me and, and taught me multifamily investing. And so that, that's kind of how I got started and how I got in my first deal. Awesome. Awesome. And I know, uh, Hans, you are a veteran uh, investor and a very astute uh, student of the game. You have a lot of, uh, you know, knowledgeable tips uh, from practical experiences and studying the books of the trade. And some of these innovative things that you have laid out are very valuable for listeners to uh, kind of gain the information and be a better investor. Um, so I want to maybe jump into some of those topics, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, please tell us and share with us that uh, when you are, uh, you know, doing syndications, right? Um, what sort of elements you look for in a syndicated multifamily, uh, you know, deal, for example? Yeah. So when I'm looking to invest as a passive investor, um, you know, there's a multiple things that I'll look at. Um, but, you know, one of the first things you want to uh, obviously understand is first educate yourself on all terms and understand multifamily and understand what the terms are you're going to read in a PPM, et cetera. But one of the first things I want to look at is um, I'll look at the sponsor themselves, the person that is, uh, that is the head of the deal that I'll invest in. Mm -hmm. um, do they have skin in the game? Have they invested a significant amount of their own personal funds into the deal? Um, what's their track record? Um, mm -hmm. How many deals have they done? How many deals have they managed? Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things I always want to look for is uh, any deal I get in, whether it's self storage and whether this is me as a sponsor or me as a passive investor, mm -hmm. I want to see a true value add component to a uh, deal. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people throw around the term value play and yield play. I'm sure many of your sure. listeners have heard mm -hmm. that. So I don't believe in yield plays. I think there's, I, I don't, that yield play screams to me, I'm paying full retail price. Right, right. Yeah. And so why would I want to do a yield play? There's no such thing as a yield play to me. I, I wouldn't do it. Right. It's so thin and it, I think, smells more risk for sure. 
Exactly. And people think, oh, you'll play safe. It's you're buying a coupon payment. No, you, what you're doing is you're paying full price. So then if we have a drop in valuation of property, guess whose money gets lost first? Absolutely. Your, your, your equity has gone. Right. So you want to buy value add component. That doesn't mean it has to be, you know, 30% occupied and, and falling down. Sure. That just means there needs to be a way to add value, uh, you know, day one, not, not actually day one, but be able to force equity into the deal. Right. Right. Make, 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 right. Makes complete sense. There has to be a compelling story, whether, you know, you do renovations or whether you, you know, bring efficiencies through better management and things of that nature. So that exactly. value add component, uh, increasing the NOI, perhaps maybe, you know, even lowering the expenses and things like that. Yep. Totally agree. So what would be next in terms of, you know, whether it's fee structures, how the structure is, uh, you know, the managers and things like that. Yeah. So one of the other big points I'd want to stress to uh, that we try to do with our investors and that I want to see from other sponsors that I invest with is transparency. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot, a, a lack of that as the market has gotten hotter because as sponsors get, um, more and more equity that's thrown at them because mm -hmm. right now um, and it's hard to find deals, but these sponsors who've done well in one or two deals, then suddenly I guess decide that they don't need to uh, be completely transparent with everyone and they can just slide mm -hmm. by and getting their, and getting their equity. And that's one of my big, I guess, uh, issues with a lot of the deals I see that cross my desk is, there's a complete lack of transparency on fees. There's lack of transparency on how they're getting to the cash flow. Um, they won't share prior reporting that, that they have on prior deals. They won't share prior P&Ls, even sanitized stuff that when I ask for it. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the first things I notice um, is that um, if, if I, I'll send a bulleted list of questions to a sponsor that say, wants me to invest hundred grand in their deal. Uh, if they don't respond to that in complete transparency, I'm basically out. I mean, that can, that tells me something. I mean, okay. you know, what happens if the deal goes sideways? Are they going to be transparent then if they're not being transparent now? Right. No. So, right. you know, that's, that's really one of my big, um, one of the big things I look for. And we do the same. Uh, any potential investor that looks to invest with Box Wilson equity, I'll send them whatever they want to see. Sure. Mm -hmm. For prior deals. Obviously, I'm not going to send them investor names and social security numbers, but I'll send you the entire P&L. I'll send you anything you want to see on the deal. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's one of the thing, big things I look for. Interesting. Um, obviously, you, you want to evaluate a pro forma and the projections and be able to dive into that. But mm -hmm. at, at a higher level, fees, um, if you want me to touch on that. Uh, sure, sure. Fees, are, fees to me are one of the other things I look for first when I look mm -hmm. to in a deal. Um, one of the biggest is an acquisition fee that's typically one to 2% of a, of the purchase price of a deal. Right. So you see these on most deals and there's nothing wrong with having an acquisition fee, but mm. it, in my opinion, it needs to be capped. If you're buying a $50 million deal and taking a, a 1% or one and a half percent acquisition fee, that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's half a million to three quarters of a million dollars. Um, Absolutely. it's really too high. It needs to be capped. It, it's just as much work to buy a $20 million deal as it's a $50 million deal. And there's no reason you should get paid double or more than double uh, for that. Uh, so that's, if I see a, you know, a, an acquisition fee, of guys, I typically will question it and or probably just not invest. Because I, I don't want the sponsor making half a million dollars day one. I right. want the sponsor to be paid 
as they pay me. I want the, right. the interest of the sponsor to be in line with me. Right. right. So the first place you do that is you look at fees. And right. if they're getting a bunch of money up front for an acquisition fee, or they're doing a non-recourse loan, but then they're getting paid a large debt fee, why are you getting paid a debt fee if you're signing non-recourse? It's really, right. it's really uh, something that I prefer not to see. Um, and then, you know, there's basically what you want to do is you want to look at the fees and see if they're, are they, are they fair? Do they seem excessive? Mm -hmm. Um, and then the next step is obviously then just to dive into looking at your waterfall and your compensation and make sure those are aligned with your interests as an investor. Right. Right. So, so in a waterfall structure, for example, Hans, uh, it comes in a lot of different variations and there are various hurdles, uh, that sort of come with that. Uh, what would you maybe, uh, say that what would be a reasonable, uh, waterfall structure? Sure. So I have a pretty strong view on this, um, mm -hmm. and and it's the way I invest with other people and the way our deals are structured, mm -hmm. I think there should always be a preferred return. Um, many of these deals out here that you see, especially in in uh, more of the in the newbie space, mm -hmm. where or where these parts of these mentor groups, uh, you'll see a straight split, like 80, 20, 90, mm -hmm. 10, 85, 15. Mm -hmm. So basically for every dollar paid out on an 80, 20 split for every dollar paid out, the investor gets 80% of that dollar of cash flow and the sponsor mm -hmm. gets 20%. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in that structure, you could, you could do a big deal and raise say 5 million of equity mm -hmm. and be well below in portfolio, maybe only pay 7% return. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the sponsor's getting 20% of a 7% return on $5 million. That's not a small number. Sure. Mm -hmm. So they're underperforming, but they're still getting paid. They're not right. even having to hit a minimum performance level. Mm -hmm. So that's what the PREF gets rid of. And that, that's sure. what the PREF requires. So all our deals have PREF, the deals that I do myself as Box Wilson, and the deals I invest in. Mm -hmm. So we have to pay an 8%. Typically, it's an 8% PREF and then a split above. Mm -hmm. So... I would prefer to see something like an 8% preferred return mm -hmm. to the investors. Mm -hmm. And then after that, maybe a, maybe an, a 70, 30 split up to a certain IRR. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. And it really depends on the deal on how you structure it. But right. if you have a, you have a preferred return, you know, the investor can at least make 8% on their money before the sponsor starts sharing in the cash flow. Makes and sense. that provides an incentive um, and aligns interest between the sponsor and the investor. Right, so, right. That's really my preference. Right, right. So a, a bit of a uh, counterpoint on that pref also uh, uh, there, Hans, is that sometimes uh, I have heard uh, also the comments where a pref a return can sometimes tend to counteract against you, meaning, you know, the accrual, like, let's say, if you're not hitting your projections and you have, let's say, some down uh, months or uh, quarters where, you know, the asset is not performing at the, sort of the uh, reported uh, income level or, you know, for, for various reasons, for example, right? So some of the arguments that you hear is that that accumulation uh, of uh, sort of interest, uh, dividends, things of that nature tend to, you know, weigh down on sponsor. And if that continues for a long time, you know, let's say, I don't know, maybe a year in a deep value add situation, uh, the sponsor is, uh, you know, discouraged or uh, sort of disinterested in, uh, you know, so it kind of counteracts against the sponsor as well. Would you maybe have some thoughts or comments around that? Sure. Yeah, I've heard that argument and I don't agree with it. <laughs> uh, 
it's it to me if a sponsor is going to you know get behind on press is what you're basically saying right and mm -hmm. and starts accruing press and and gets further and further behind mm -hmm. the kind of your job as an investor is part of what we talked about earlier in this podcast was vetting the sponsor right and so if that sponsor doesn't have the what's the right word morality is not the right word but doesn't have the the I guess the the honesty to continue to work as hard as they should work mm -hmm. in the deal, even if they're behind. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that would just make me work harder and figure out a way. Okay, what's the best way to exit this deal that's going to help sure. our investors sure. and help me? Sure. Right. Um, then, then I wouldn't want to invest with them in the first place. Absolutely, is to to really vet that sponsor mm -hmm. um, and and feel comfortable with their track record and who they are and if they're transparent and all those mm -hmm. items. And mm -hmm. I would think if you can get comfortable there they're not going to be the type of person that's going to say, Oh, well, I'm only, I can only pay 5%. I'm getting three, you know, I got an eight press. So I'm getting 3% behind every year. I'm just it's stacking up. Right. I'm just going to quit trying. And right. it, I, to me, you hopefully will have already vetted that sponsor. So you know, you have an honest person that's not just going to walk away from that deal and go do other deals since they can't get paid. Um, right. Right. Cash flow. Uh, I totally agree with you there. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, reward for performance, do, do a good due diligence uh, of the sponsor, their track record and the deals that priorities. Yeah. That I mean, done. I'll, I'll say it right here. We are behind press on one of our self storage deals right now. And mm -hmm. it's because it's because of supply that came online that came online three years after we bought it. It's not mm -hmm. like we knew about the supply right. and it's, it's a big REIT that are, are building. So they have a cost of capital of like 4% and our cost of capital is at least eight. Right. right. So, um, we are, are, uh, we were paying pref and then it got behind because it was hard to, uh, stay occupied because we were competing with another large basic. Yeah. They're giving away units. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we're behind on pref, but we basically decided, you know what, there's a good exit plan. We, we had some relationships mm -hmm. and now we have it under contract to sell. And we're going to hit our projected pro forma, but it's just more of the gain is going to be on the back end on gain instead of cash flow. Sure, sure. And that, so that, we just, that's, we that's such a key point there that I think communication and having sort of that right exit plan and making those decisions is, uh, I mean, this is like, uh, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that, Hans, that uh, this is truth on the ground that uh, you want to learn. And, uh, you know, this is such a valuable uh, information you just shared, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be honest. I mean, that's why we have it is because I want to be incentivized as a sponsor. And I'm plus I have, you know, $200,000 of my own money in the deal. So I want that money to make a return. So I'm incentivized to find a buyer. And at that time, we found we found the buyer through working with our with our partner who's mm -hmm. uh, connected in the area. And we found actually found a REIT to uh, to buy our deal at a very low cap rate. So that's awesome. <laughs> kind of awesome. bird in the hand decision, you know. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, now, speaking of deals, uh, Hans, uh, what are some of the elements you look for? Like, for example, evaluating the deal, as we all know, can take a long time, uh, you know, a bit more thorough analysis and things like that. So, uh, you know, there are some quick ways sometimes that you can, uh, you know, determine that, hey, is it a deal, not a deal, just based on pure numbers and things like that. Could you share some tips about how you quickly go about uh, just sort of doing a napkin math on deals and uh, you know, how do you go about that? Sure. Sure. So like if, if I come across an, like an, a business plan or an offering that I'll do, uh, I want to invest in myself, or if I'm looking at a deal with a sponsor mm -hmm. uh, you know, what you want to do is, 
I mean, it's a little different if you're if you're a sponsor, I guess, um, because I'm gonna die. I'm always gonna dive in much deeper. But mm-hmm. let's take first. I look at somebody else's business plan. I'm mm-hmm. gonna first look at their exit cap rate, mm-hmm. see if it's reasonable. Is it like a point point and a half higher on exit than it is going in? Mm-hmm. Do they calculate their going in cap correctly? Mm-hmm. Many people are much too aggressive on their going in cap. Mm-hmm. And then I will look at uh, property taxes. If it's here in Texas, especially, I'll look at assumptions are they are they uh conservative mm-hmm. uh how are the rents growing are they growing at some crazy number and if they are then that's okay but there needs to be a good uh backup for it and why sure. which means what's the comp study let me see the comp study is there are these comp, are these true comps or are these not really true comps to the the product that, mm-hmm. that we're buying right um you know and then i'll then honestly i'll look at fees um in, in that case, you know, when I'm looking at the overall deal, look at those. Are the first thing to look at is cap rate, sponsor fees, and then how are they raising rents or how are they adding value. And if I can get comfortable with those three things, then I can dive in much deeper and start looking at, at the numbers and the pro forma and other expenses normalized. Do they make sense? Um, things like that. But if I can get through the cap rate, the sponsor themselves, fees, and property taxes, mm-hmm. then that, that kind of gives me my first in. It's like, oh, this looks like an interesting deal. I might want to invest in it. That's awesome. And I dive mm-hmm. in deeper. Right, right. And from our prior conversation there, uh, Hans, you said you are a strong proponent of value add. Uh, uh, you know, meaning there should be a clear story as to how you are increasing the income uh, and lowering the expenses and things like that, right? So there are some deals where, you know, you have like a deep distress uh, situations or a deep mm-hmm. value add situations. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Sometimes, you know, let's say, uh, it's an old owner couple the owning the deal and they just kind of over the years uh, got behind on let's say deferred maintenance and things like that the occupancy is low so for a new operator coming in uh, what would you advise or do you have any thoughts on these deep value add deals oh i love them um if you're an experienced sponsor um, and and have experience doing these kind of things, I'd love to invest in those kind of deals mm-hmm. uh, because to me, I mean that that creates the biggest buffer in this, in margin of safety. If you know if and or when we have a downturn of any type, whether it's small or big, sure. Um, so I love them, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to invest with you know a brand new sponsor that's right. never done multifamily into a deal that has a ton of hair on. Right. And you put, you know, you've got to get in a bridge loan typically and a bridge loan has, you know, typically a two or three year uh, maturity mm-hmm. at your head and two or three years to get the thing refinanced. Right. So you need to invest in somebody who knows what they're doing and it has a track record in history. So personally, if I could find a deal like that, I'd invest in, I'd, we'd buy it ourselves. Right. Got it. Um, but in the same way, I would, I would love to invest with sponsors. Mm-hmm. That we've, we've, uh, we went after a self storage deal like that about mm-hmm. a year and a half ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, underbid. And honestly, I wish we would have bid a million higher now mm-hmm. because it turns out, you know, we, we didn't get the deal because of some, some nuances, but it would have been a great deal. It would have been a great deal, a million dollars more than what we bid on. I see. Um, mm-hmm. So things like that. Yeah. I love value that. I, it, Absolutely. It, 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 so it's safe to say that it is uh, advisable for a deep experienced uh, operator to take on these deals and deep value add should not be an issue for uh, any of our listeners as long as they're educated and have a, a good bit of experience doing it. Would that be correct? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. And, you know, there's a difference between maybe deep 
value add, it depends on the market you're in. Sure. Um, you know, I, I don't know that I would necessarily want to take on a vacant 200 unit deal. Ooh. <laughs> but, you know, something like that, um, right. that would take more experience than taking on a, a 75% occupied deal in San Antonio, Texas, right? Sure, so sure. you've got to, you got to weigh the risks. I mean, there, right. there's a certain point where it's too risky, right? right, right. So you just have to weigh the risk profile of the return. Right, right. No, I, I totally agree with you. I think bigger the deal and if you're like talking that extreme, I mean, they, they do come across. Sometimes, you know, there are zoning changes and, uh, you know, things like that. And you come across such uh, projects where it's completely vacant for whatever reason. And uh, that that's a significant undertaking at that point. And I, I think any any operator of any I think uh, experience there should be well cautioned uh, to you know take on such projects. So that that's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean it's not like many of those are around. So that's why the key is: does a sponsor have relevant experience doing this mm-hmm. exact thing? That's right. what you need to figure out. Right, right. I mean, I, I've done plenty of houses and foreclosures and vacants and things like that that I you know less care to remember. But, uh, you know, that's one thing. And, you, you, you know, taking on a huge project uh, that's, uh, you know, of significant size that's completely vacant is, is totally different animal, that's for sure. Definitely. Awesome. So uh, speaking of uh, this value add, um, uh, Hans, uh, could you maybe share, like, what are your favorite elements of uh, value add components, interior, exterior wise, that you may have uh, sort of uh, done in your projects? Like, what are the best uh, things that you like to do at your uh, assets? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, I can give you an example of our, our last deal we did. I mean, it was mainly, uh, you know, I guess two or three of them. It's curb appeal, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but the deal we bought actually had the curb appeal, but the insides hadn't really been touched. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you know, simple things is adding black appliances and two inch shutters or mm-hmm. blinds. Um, we were able to achieve our upside without even doing the rest of the interior rehabs. So mm-hmm. I think you want to go for the, the big bang items. You know, I, I definitely think our flooring appliances, mm-hmm. uh, blinds and then and then a curb appeal to to the property itself doesn't it doesn't have to look flashy it just needs to be clean and well kept um adding a playground is always a pretty big plus mm-hmm. you're in a bedroom community or something mm-hmm. like that um you know but really honestly it's just clean and well run and mm-hmm. management is where you you know rehab's great i mean you got to clean up the property you got to add upgrades to, to draw but that that's typically driven by the market you're in so it's not like there's some you know, uh, proprietary way to fix a property up and make money. It's sure. whatever your submarket is, what are your, if you've got comps that are getting higher rent, then you just copy them and you will get that rent, right? Right. The, the driving factor is the management company and the manager on site. Because right. when you think about it, you're paying somebody $40,000, $50,000 a year to sit on a $10 million business, right? right? And, right. and it's kind of crazy when you think about it. Right. So right. the key is to have a very good management company with, that can hires good managers and good regional managers to oversee. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is the crux of it all right there is the Got it. A- asset management and the on-site property. Yeah. Management. Us as asset managers. Right. And then the right. on-site or the third party management managing the manager. Right. Is key. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And do you have a favorite uh, uh, sort of a guideline as to how you evaluate, um, you know, in like the staff, like how much should be the staff with respect to how large of a deal uh, that's there? So for example, uh, do you have a sort of a uh, thumb rule wherein you say that, oh, maybe we should consider two uh, employees per 50 unit, that kind of thing? Do, yeah, it's usually two per 100. I mean, that's the rule with uh, multifamily, yeah, two per 100. I see, I see. So if you had a hundred units, you'd be a manager and a maintenance guy. Got it. Yeah. So my next topic is uh, is a bit of a uh, you know twister in the uh, sort of uh, theory of things that how we go about analyzing markets and things like that, right? And the way it goes, uh, Hans, is that uh, you know we have various states that are thriving. There are other states that are uh, you know perhaps declining or just not growing as as much, right? Mm -hmm. So as sometimes I try to term it more as saying that some are pure cash flowing states where you don't have a, a direct story of uh, you know strong job growth and things like that. And then there are other states like for example uh, you know. Uh, let's say uh, cities like Dallas, Austin, whether it's Orlando, Phoenix, and things like that, right? So where you have these cities have strong job growth and things like that, right? So mm -hmm. when the, the sponsors or other deal uh, investors that are looking at these, uh, what is sort of uh, the guiding uh, principles that you go by that should they be chasing some of these hot states, uh, as I call it, or should they be maybe more looking at cash flowing states. Could you maybe share some thoughts around that? Sure. So, um, I mean, part of it depends on your goals as an investor and your, 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 and your investors themselves investing with you. I mean, right. if you need cash flow and you need to get to 9, 10, 12%, it's going to be hard for you to buy in LA, right? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. So, part of it is going to be driven by that. Mm -hmm. But honestly, from the way I invest, you know, is we want at least you know six to seven percent cash flow day one mm -hmm. and then going up from there because sure. uh, that provides a margin of safety mm -hmm. uh, so typically you know we will look at you know uh, I, 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 I would probably rather invest in a San Antonio or a Dallas or a Houston making eight percent or than I would invest in a Cleveland and make 11 and the reason being is, is that to me, the risk is lower in mm -hmm. San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, maybe Phoenix, because there's jobs. I mean, there's, there's been years of jobs. There, jobs continue to come here. We're business-friendly state, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you might get more cash flow in Cleveland right now because you're paying, you're paying at a lower cap rate. So you're paying a, a, a lower price for the same stream of income. Right. But that stream of income isn't as sure, right? Got because it the jobs just aren't, aren't coming to Cleveland. People are leaving Ohio or Illinois or wherever the example is. Right. Um, and, and so I would rather take a lower cash, uh, a lower return on my money for less risk. And that's just the way I'm, I'm wired. Right. And some yeah. people would rather go buy in LA, not get paid anything and take the risk that it's going to appreciate that it's going to appreciate because it's LA. Right. Um, and that cap rates will compress even more, although I don't see how it's possible for cap rates to compress anymore um, in, in places like LA. So to me, yeah, you, what you have to evaluate is the day you buy it, what is the cap rate and where do you think the cap rate is going to be in that market and mm -hmm. your exit plan is. That, that's what you have to look at. So to me, it's more of a risk decision than anything mm -hmm. else. 
Awesome, awesome. So uh, thank you, Hans. I appreciate your kind words. Uh, please share with our listeners how uh, they can find you. Sure, sure. So I can be reached at um, uh, hbox at boxwilson.com mm-hmm. or uh, you can give me a ring at 214-641-6309 and uh, happy to chat about multifamily or investing with anyone. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Hans. I appreciate you spending time and your experience and wisdom with us. Uh, I know you are a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure we'll be touching base in future and I look forward to, you know, having more exchanges with you. Oh, I appreciate you having me on, Scar. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Premium Cashflow Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please join us at premiumcashflow.com to sign up for weekly updates research articles, and more. We will see you again for another great interview with an expert guest.